Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. The United States is a mafia government. No one has done more damage and degradation and murder, rape, and robbery than Europeans. Yes, therefore, in order to escape confrontation with their true criminal nature, they must accuse others of being criminals. But we call objection. They must become obsessed with the criminality of other people. And black folk become those other people, you see. One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be. When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no. glory, glory, oh, glory, glory. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see? So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. We must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. America's chickens! Coming home! Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're gonna sing the swim. Alternative Activist Empowerment Talk Radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. 
the three strike law and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. And good evening, and thank you so much for joining us here in the Black Sanctuary. This is the place where we transpose the black truth to power, one broadcast at a time, and we're real happy to have you with us. If you'd like to get one of the best seats in the house, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and join our listeners in our open, unmoderated chat room until it is trolled it is unmoderated tonight as we come into the sanctuary we want to say another name in atlanta georgia murder by police say his name richard brooks and we extend um our condolences and comfort to his family, and to our larger family. I don't imagine that we are doing this well, this black rage, this black grief, this black dying and bodies in the streets of America. And we want our listeners to know that we share in that grief. We share in our sorrow in a country where grandmothers are laying their bodies down to prevent police from murdering their grandsons and their granddaughters a week of mothers and grandmothers wailing and fathers weeping in silence and grandfathers remembering the sorrow so deep down that it only comes through the skin and the resonance of living in terror. I really want you to know that this week I have come to some very, very hard, after 50 years of activism through the civil rights era, through the black power era, watching my comrades and my friends murdered by police, listening to the sorrow of black people 
having to endure. I have come to a place that in 50 years I have never come to, and that is that we must declare ourselves as warriors in a race war with a president with with power of military, with power of policy distortion and cover-up involved in a global criminal empire, we have come to a place in America where we must understand, we must see it very clearly in the reflections of poverty, poverty of spirit, economic poverty, social poverty, and political poverty, with the exception of until we declare that we are warring, until we declare that we are going to fight back with, as Malcolm said, ever means necessary. Until we come to the point where we understand and in this war, we have to be clear about what justice is. We have to be clear about what freedom is because they have declared the war on the blood-stained soil of post-slavery and Reconstruction. That is where we are. And one of the reasons that I do... This broadcast, I continue to do this broadcast, is because we have to be clear about who we are. We are not just people who are celebrities, people who are entertainers, people who are sports whatevers, people who we are a body of people who are the descendants of a history that demonstrates to us when we fight back, we survive. But we have come to a place across many generations that we have the ability to understand our powers are. They say, and you know, my friend, Plathel Benjamin, who has been on this program many, many times since the inception of Our Common Ground in 1985, Plathel Benjamin has always said that politics is the art of negotiation. But after 50 years, I am declaring that negotiation does not work. It does not work. We have to stand on the demands with the, as Green Beasley is saying in our chat room, we have to be not warriors without weapons, but warriors that will create weapons for our defense. And that means that we have to go hard and we have to go fast. And tonight I have invited Dr. James Taylor who, if you are a regular listener, you know who he is. He has been with us at Our Common Ground as a political 
and uh, as a political uh, <clears throat> advisor and commentator since 2011. He is uh, one of the voices in in our um, in 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 our world in the black world that we need because if you ask the souls of 10,000 black victims who are victims of COVID-19 who still might be living if they had been white if you ask the souls of those who were told the pandemic was the great equalizer Ask the souls of those forced to choose between their low wage wage jobs and their treasured life. That is a part of the war. Nothing is more clear that there has not been an emancipation is that we are not now in the midst of protests and 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 rebellion we are still looking at black bodies on our streets we are still looking at black bodies at the hands of police lying on our streets and I want to remind you that this is war. It is war, and we must be clear about it. We did not. We did not declare this war, but we must declare our participation in fighting back. Police officers don't face justice for a, uh, for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons that they do not is because we accept without question the leadership of people who have no understanding, no definition, no real understanding of what we mean when we say justice. Tonight, uh, let me tell you a little about before Dr. Taylor joins us, and um, he is a professor and the director of the Department of Politics at the University of San Francisco. He is a native of Glen Cove, Long Island. And uh, he is the author of um, many writings about the issue, uh, publications about the uh, on the issues of uh, race and politics. He has taught previously uh, as a visiting a professor of political science at St. Louis University in Madrid, Spain and African-American and African-American diaspora studies at the University of California in Berkeley. Uh, he is a guest commentator all the way, all across the board 
in black media, and I really have a, a great deal of respect for how he chooses where he uses voice. And we are really grateful that he uh, is joining us again. A couple of weeks ago, he was with us, and we were talking about the price and the playbook. And it seems like we have got to get those two things really right. Dr. Taylor, thank you very much for being with us here at Our Common Ground once again. It's wonderful to be back with you. And sadly, under these circumstances, I've been sitting here. I've actually stopped crying. Uh, I've been very emotional until today. And as I see this most recent shooting, um, I haven't shed a tear. Um, I'm actually, I've actually gone to my wife and I said, I hope they start burning it. I said, I hope they start burning it. And I hope it burns as soon as possible. Um, because I think we needed about four or five more days of, of the insurrectionary stage of all of this. And I'm thinking as a student of social movements, not just as some wild, uh, you know, radical. Um, what, what got everyone's attention was the violence, was the insurrection, um, not the civil disobedience. That's what we're seeing now. It's a different stage. This thing is organic. <clears throat> and although it's hard to evaluate all of it because we're so close to it, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you know previous movements and um, you can sort of kind of measure where we are and we went through the insurrectionary stage um and that that does have a real impact i was in los angeles in 1992 i was a graduate student at usc and i had um uh, been writing a paper on the black and korean conflict in los angeles and that was at the heart of the riots and so i was really studying it and i told my professor who was a black man who's now gone that there was going to be a riot in los angeles and he looked at me in graduate school in class I was the only black student in class, and he was a black professor, and he said he pretty much embarrassed me and said, Mr. Taylor, is not going to be a riot. Needless to say, on the day of April 29, 1992, my paper was due, and I, had, I called down to Los Angeles and told him I couldn't bring my paper in because there was a riot going on out in L.A., and he apologized to me for the rest of his life um, because, uh, you know, because of you know, the, the way in which there are certain things you can detect, and and, and I spoke to about 300 law enforcement officers uh, about two years ago, and I said it to them bluntly that the history of black people is if you victimize their young people who are unarmed and innocent, you will get a major response from them. And as long as you continue to shoot unarmed black people, black people are going to rise up. They're not going to tolerate it. And so the insurrectionary stage was necessary here. It was necessary in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, the violence got rid of uh, the, the president of the United States, George Bush, who came in in April of 1992 with a 92% approval rating for having just defeated uh, Saddam. And by that November, because of the riots at April, his presidency didn't seem to have a good management handle on things, and then the economy dropped, and that's when Clinton said the economy's stupid, and then George Bush ended up being the second first-term president of, of, in the Republican Party since Herbert Hoover in the modern era. So the riots got rid of George Bush. The riots got rid of um, Tom Bradley, the black mayor who had been in power since 1973. Uh, he had been city council since 63. Tom Bradley had been in power for 20 years. He had been, you know, going back and forth, and the, 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 the establishment there would make him 
take positions against Farrakhan and anything else black, like they did every other black mayor in the 80s as a litmus test. Farrakhan was the litmus test. And Tom Bradley, you know, took their position. And um, he ended up out of, out of power. Ira Reiner was the district attorney. Ira Reiner ended up out of power. Um, The entire political establishment of Los Angeles was turned over and the presidency by the Los Angeles riots of 1992. And anyone that claims that the violence is of no value is being more emotional rather than tactical. Because tactically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the violence is, uh, is absolutely necessary. Otherwise, America has been ignoring black people who've been saying since January 1st, well, December 31st, 2008, since the day the Oscar Grant's body was captured being shot by Johann Meserly, ironically claiming to be reaching for a taser, given what we're seeing right now on the streets, this is about a taser, all of this began with a cop claiming he was going for his taser when he shot Oscar Grant in Fruitvale Station. That's the first videoed modern killing that has... That was the that was the beginning of the watershed of all of the modern killings. Don't get me wrong. There there was Amadou Diallo. There was Louima in between. There was Sean Bell in New York who got shot 41 times after going to a little club with his brother-in-laws, and he was getting married in the morning. A good young man. They killed his daughter. Just graduated high school back in New York, um, but it wasn't on video. The the key thing I want people to understand is you have to understand everything we've seen from Trayvon Martin to Michael Grant, I mean, to uh, Michael Brown, to Sandra Bland, um, to Breonna Taylor, to everyone you can name, uh, Botham John, all over the country. All of that began one night on December 31st, 2008, on Fruitvale Station, the movie with Michael B. Jordan made by Oakland's own Ryan Coogler, documents it. And everyone forgets it because of a woman or women who were in Oakland in that movement. And they tweeted, as members of the Oscar Grant movement, Black Lives Matter. They have been on the ground for four years. Now, if you start with the tweet and you start with Trayvon, which they were responding to was the Zimmerman um, verdict, you ignore four years of the groundwork they had that they yeah. were doing and that they were actually had boots on the ground, and that Kaepernick is looking at in San Francisco, 12 miles away. And then Kaepernick sees um, Mario Woods get shot, where cops could have used a taser. 20 cops surrounded him with guns and shot him when he had a knife, and they could have used a taser, and they didn't. Um, and that was a, the alternate case in, in Oakland, where the taser was used instead of a gun. I mean, you know, the, the taser was used, it, uh, the gun was used instead of a taser. So, so Oscar Grant is the, 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 ear, the bookmark on the beginning end of this. And the other reason why this is significant is because the Black Lives Matter movement comes out of this, the, the Kaepernick protest comes out of this, and it, it forms a network of other organizations and groups and interests, like Latinos fighting for, um, against Wells Fargo for financing the holding tanks of undocumented workers. That's what they protest um, Wells Fargo with. So the network of groups that organized around Oscar Grant was so effective that that explains why the Occupy movement ended in Oakland on 14th and Broadway, not New York City where it began. So 
Mm-hmm. And it's significant because the 08-09 beginning to today marks 12 years. Now, if you start with Trayvon, you, you say it was about eight years. No, it, it, to help you see how long we've been doing this, in, the, in what I call the modern era of the black anti-police brutality movement. That's what this is to me. It's not Black Lives Matter. I think that's a misnomer that white media, like they did with Black Lives, like they did with Black Power, like they did with Me Too, like they did with, um, you know, uh, other hashtags. Um, you know, uh, they, 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 they gave it a whole meaning. Like Me Too was a black mm-hmm. woman protesting white women with the pink hat saying, don't forget us black women too. Then the media made the whole movement Me Too, and everybody calls it Me Too. But it was a black woman saying, don't forget us. And then the whole thing yeah. became Me Too when it was actually a black protest. So they did this as well with Black Lives Matter. But my point is the anti-police brutality movement is bookended by the death of Oscar Grant and also now this brother here tonight. Now, in between that, Oscar Grant is also important for this. You can go backwards to Rodney King. So you can go from, Oscar Grant, from Rodney King to Oscar Grant to this brother tonight to, to, to map actually, out what I'm talking about. One. Because it also marks, a, 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 it, it, they also mark eras of policing. That's why this is important to, 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 to let me map out. Uh, because, they, because they also mark, uh, and, and by the way, anybody who's not watching television, the Wendy's where the young man was killed is on, on fire. They were burning the bushes for a while, and now, they turn, now the building's on fire. The Wendy's where mm-hmm. this young man was killed in Atlanta is now, is now on fire. Um, well, I think it's... I think it's very important for understanding, and, and one, of the, one of the incidents of police um, murder that you, you didn't mention was Sean Bell. Right. And, and that was right before Oscar Grant. That's right. But, but one of the things, uh, Dr. Taylor, that I want to help our audience really understand is the nature of rebellion. Uh, We can't walk lightly. We can't be apologetic. And I I do think that the hashtag Black Lives Matter uh, is putting a um, microfiber blanket on the idea of police murder. Yes. These are murders. Yes. Rebellion is about no longer drawing the land, line in the sand and no longer tolerating it. And I think yes. tonight, uh, yet, uh, today in, in Atlanta, one of the things that was uh, they're 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 now looking for scapegoats and they're talking about training. Even the attorneys for for. Um, Rayshard Brooks are talking about training fell, failed. Training didn't fail. The whole idea and concept of policing and policing in black communities is the foundation of all of that. And let's talk about how slave rebellions dealt with the patty rollers in our history. We need to talk about how the the idea of becoming armed in our communities took hold in the South, especially because they called them Negroes with guns. I mean, I was a little girl, and 
And um, I never understood when we traveled throughout Florida why my dad and my mother argued about carrying the gun. I think my father understood about what self-defense was all about. But let's talk about the nature of rebellions. Well, you, you mentioned black rage earlier. Um, and in my book, Black Nationalism in the United States, I have a whole chapter uh, that really, I, that's how I define black nationalism. I define black nationalism in America as black rage. I reject the traditional definition of nationalism as having to do with land or, or race separation or land separation. Those are forms, and they're the predominant forms. They're the most common forms. But the American ingredients of the American situation, the uniqueness of it, um, also allowed blacks to tailor their own nationalistic response. All black leaders in the beginning, from Booker Washington uh, back to David Walker, Frederick Douglass, all uh, cited the idea that blacks were a nation within a nation. So they were a national entity within a country, captive really. Um, uh, you know, others have, uh, like Harold Cruz, have theorized that we were an, inter an internal colony. Um, another scholar named Blauner, who's now dead over at Berkeley, wrote a book called um, Racial Oppression, and he argues there that there's still unresolved issues with black America and the British Empire as colonial slave subjects of them. So think of America as a colony, the slaves as colonial subjects of that colony. That was never resolved um, in the American Revolution, he argues. And so we remain a, like Cruz and the black power movement argued in the 60s, an internal colony. The nature of rebellion in America, blacks have tailored their response largely to try to use different means and methods. When Malcolm says by any means necessary, black people have. And most black folk don't understand the, most the, the, the major means that they use was religion. In the history of black people, before they begin to even accept Christianity, I mean, it'll take another 150 years from 2020 for black people to have been Christian for as long as our ancestors were not. Our ancestors rejected Christianity from 1555 until about the 18-teens, 1820s, 1830s, then there's the, set, the, the coming of the Second Great Awakening. The blacks ignored the First Great Awakening uh, in the 1700s. They embraced the Second Great Awakening as the Baptists and Methodists begin to uh, proselytize among them. And that's when all of a sudden black people, for the first time ever, if you've ever read Du Bois, you'll know Du Bois says that everything before this was not Christian. It was black-African hybrid. We tailored it to the American condition, he said. And the preacher, the dance, and the frenzy were the most unique components of this cultural phenomenon. And, um, and then, you know, and so as black folk, you know, move forward, David Walker, with the appeal, called for slave insurrection. Henry Highland Garnett, a preacher, called for slave insurrection. Uh, Frederick Douglass, you know, says, what to the Negro is your 4th of July, and Frederick Douglass supports violence. Frederick, support, Frederick Douglass supported arming 250,000 black men. Frederick Douglass was the opposite of Martin Luther King. Frederick Douglass said, give black men guns and let them kill white men so they can get free. And 250,000 black men took guns and they killed white men, and that is the real story of the American Revolution, um, according to a book uh, written by a brother at Rice University called The, the American Counter-Revolution. 
um, if you look that book up, he makes that argument. So, again, black people have always had a, revolu- a, re- a rebellious tradition. Uh, I won't call it revolutionary because that implies Marxian, Marxism, but we had our own American brand. And what I'm saying to you is instead of going back to Africa or integrating into America like King, a third way for black folk is represented in my book by David Walker's appeal where David Walker basically says black people have paid a price for this land through their blood, not disrespecting native, the native people, but in terms of America, the country, not the native land, the American people, the native American people, but the American government and country. David, Walker appeal, David Walker's appeal says this is as much our land as it is theirs. We don't need to go back to Africa. We don't need to integrate with these white people. We just need to have ours and be left alone. And black people agree with that all the way through Plessy. All the way, 60 years later with Plessy versus Ferguson, the only problem with uh, the separate but equal was the, un- the inequality of it. Black people didn't want to integrate with white people in America. That's a myth. When King and Rosa Parks have the bus boycott, they are not trying to integrate with white people. They say basically, give us, let's reshuffle the seats. And that was King's uh, solution, reshuffle the seats. Integration isn't even used by King. What, where in the speech, I have a dream, does King say integration? Nowhere. In that entire speech, does he even use that word? It evolved after King is dead. That integration actually unfolds as a concept in the, in the modern movement. And so in the meantime, this third way was represented by uh, David Walker as he looked at the Declaration of Independence and his appeal, a call for general insurrection and violence. He called for violence. Um, uh, and, and he says, you know, if you strike a blow, let it be, you know, let it be known that you strike a blow. So Martin Luther King is phenomenal because um, he's kind of the, the, the anti-type uh, of Christian in the sense that he is calling for nonviolence. But David Walker, Nat Turner, Gabriel, who people mistakenly call Gabriel Prosser, but Black Gabriel, Nat Turner, um, uh, the general of the swamps in Richmond, Virginia, um, who dominated whites for three decades, um, Osceola and the, um, the um, Seminole Native Americans down in Florida. The, you know, these, they're, 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 were always, there was always a revolutionary tradition, an insurrectionary tradition amongst black people. Um, and we demonstrated it again in 1919. Um, right now, if you were by a mm-hmm. computer, just Google Red Summer. And watch what year comes up, or Google 1919 race riots, and, wa- and watch what it tells you about Red Summer. Because 500,000 white men got mobilized, mostly white men, got mobilized to go fight in Europe for World War I. America entered it late. It ends. So these same men that were trained and ginned up to kill come back home, and they, they start lynching black men and black women all over America, the white soldiers. And we have race riots in Texas. Uh, we had race riots in 1917 in East St. Louis, uh, Illinois, and we had, it peaked in 1919 where you had over 100 cities with race riots, and then you had 1921, the most famous race riot in American history, a massacre, a pogrom. I'm not saying program, a pogrom, P-O-G-R-O-M, pogrom, which is what they did to the Jews. It was these pogroms, and they wiped black people out. Um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they keep saying hundreds. Black people say it was thousands and thousands of black people. And, 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 um, and this is because of the unique situation we have as a people. Where else in the world, Ms. Graham, 
Do 45 million black people live with 80 million, uh, uh, 90 million white people? Mm-hmm. Well, one of, one of the things that um, I think people really uh, would benefit from understanding and, and, you know, I get some concern, as you and I have talked before, I get really concerned when black people start apologizing for black people who have decided that their rage uh, is important. Right. And we have people who say, well, you know, uh, I get confused. I, I'll be nice about it. They get confused, right. and, and they have a lot of chaotic thinking in the midst right. of the chaos that burning and looting uh, are not the means. But right. they don't understand that burning and looting is the message. Right. And unfortunately, you it's, a, it's a sign us, of a lack of it's a sign of a lack of organization and planning at the local level. Because if Black Lives Matter had itself together, these riots wouldn't be happening. The violent, the, the outrage would. Well, would. I don't and think I say Black that, Lives Matter. I, 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 I say that because riot. I say that because Oakland never had a riot. Oakland to this day has never had a riot. Everybody assumes it had with the Black Panthers. They had police confrontations, but there was never a mass riot when all the cities of America burned. Think about which Oakland of all cities in Black Power, where 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 the Panthers come from. They don't have riots. Why? Because the Panthers had discipline in the streets. That's my point. The, the Panthers yes. had a relationship with the streets. These Black Lives Matter groups, many of them are not really from the communities that they claim to. They're ambulatory. They're like Al and Jesse in the 80s when and if something, something happened to somebody, you know, Tawana Broadley, they come showing up. That's the strategy and the, unlesson, the unlearned lessons. Um, of, of Black Lives Matter. We can talk about that part separately because uh, I don't want to be overly critical because I appreciate what they're doing, but I think that sometimes uh, young people you know, get so caught up in their own moment that they fail to uh, understand how it relates to what yeah. other young people yeah. have done in the previous five generations of young people. They're not the only young people who've been upset. Every generation of young people for the past 30 years have tried to ch- make a change. And, and yet what happens is we tend to disconnect ourselves from the lessons of the previous um, mistakes and uh, positive developments from the previous stages. Like how could they use technology right now in the streets, in, in, in Atlanta, in outsmarting the police? When they do these... Um, these, uh, you know, flash mob type things when they're running into stores and acting a fool. Why can't they flash right now all over Atlanta and just wear these police out? I'm not talking about with violence. I'm saying as a strategy, make exhaust them, Mm -hmm. exhaust them, Mm -hmm. make them pay the price, make every officer feel the pain of the community right now. And if the community is going to be out there in the street, have a strategy for it. Organize the community out there saying, don't just be out here fighting. We need to do specific things. Yeah, that was that's exactly what we did in Boston at the end of the 1960s. Um, wow. We we mapped out. I I mm-hmm. headed the topography center for the Black Panther Party at the time, and and I was young and I was ready for the revolution, whatever. But <laughs> we mapped out the city and decided that we were going to pop off in various areas at a specific time, and that right. is how we were organized. And the black community was one of the few black communities in this country 
right. that did get fired okay. down. Yeah. And see, the technology is important, and that's why I define, I go back to the Oscar Grant thing, the, why I'm saying it's important. Like we say, Sean Bell was killed, and that was horrible, but it didn't get caught on camera. Grant did, and it yeah. also involved a taser, and that's a, not, a new modern technology issue with modern policing. So, again, that, that's important because the other end of that is, is 12 years. And then, you, and then when you think about that, from Oscar Grant to The Brother Tonight in Atlanta, from 2008 to 2020, right now, 12 years we've been doing this. 12 years. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's just the mm-hmm. modern era. That's not even going back to the 80s. That's not going back to right. Ha- uh, right. Mal- Mal- Malice Green in Detroit after Rodney King. That's not going back to, you know, the brother from the Nation of Islam killed in the 60s down there by the LAPD no. or, or other killings. Um, you know, and, and, but, uh, you know, and, the and other... The other is that there were negotiations uh, that were ongoing and came into the organization, organizational uh, strategies. And right. one of the things that I know that was happening in Washington, D.C., was happening in New York City, and was happening in Boston, is that black cops, ha- we had had the, 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 the party in, in Boston, we had had major secret discussions with right, black that's right. cops right. and told them very, very frankly, you will not get a pass. Right. You will not get a pass. Right. You, but, you but, but, right. but the point is you had a, but you still had a line of communication with them. That's deep. See right there, that's my point. You even had a line to the police to say, look, what's happening out here in these streets is happening, and we're letting you all know. But at least you still had a line. So even there was a there was some coordination. Now, I'm not trying to criticize the young people. I love them. I'm glad. And I'm telling you, before we had on this call, I told my wife, Atlanta needs to burn. It, it, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I'm a student of social movements. I'm a student of black rage. I'm a student of black politics. If you've read my book, you'll know that I talk about yes. black rage. I talk about black yes. nationalism in America today and 180 years. This is a what we're seeing tonight in Atlanta is part of a 180-year tradition of black people using violence strategically, temporarily, insurrectionarily, like David Walker's appeal, like Henry Gar- Highland Garnett's um, of, of, um, motto, of, 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 uh, it's called resistance, um, let, your, let your motto be resistance, um, Frederick Douglass's revolutionary teachings, um, Harriet Tubman's revolutionary meaning in life, um, mm-hmm. all the way mm-hmm. through. And this is the point. Yeah. At the other end of... That 12 years, you have to realize the civil rights movement itself only lasted, not only, excuse me, the civil rights movement itself lasted 13 years. That's why Oscar Grant is important for the audience to know. You start with him, mathematically, 12 years, you realize the civil rights movement was only one year year longer than this when you go from Rosa Parks to Martin Luther King and the the signing of the 1965 um, Voting Rights Act. Really, that's 10 years from 55 to 65, although we know there were other movements locally always amongst black people going all the way back to the 1800s, always. There have always been black movements, always. We are, a, we are permanently conditioned uh, in a mo- as a movement people because, like you said, and I, and I want to keep with the theme of, of the, the theory of the, the nature of rebellion, because as you open, Ms. Graham, with the idea of a, a state of war, um, I'm an academic, a political scientist, so, so I tend to be a little bit skeptical of just, you know, theories and, and, you know, conspiracy theories. But for many years, uh, there was a book by a man named Ellis Coase, C-O-S-E, 
And it was yes, called uh, Ellis has been a Ellis was a very early guest on yep. our common ground. Uh, excellent. Excellent. I mean, yeah, if you remember his yeah. book, it was about the black, the black rage of the black, you know, uh, of the black nineties, yeah. you know, and and uh, the black middle class, and you know, he talked about race war, and and a lot of people would not take race war seriously because they just figured the norms of America, even with its racism, would never allow such a thing to happen in the modern era in the way it happened in the nineteen teens in Forsyth, Georgia, in the uh, you know in, in the early hundreds, um, and in the you know the, the period of nineteen seventeen to nineteen twenty. One mm-hmm. is the high point of race of white riots, and so the other day, Miss Graham, this is really important. Apart from the idea that this is now as long as the civil rights movement, is that when Tamika um, Mallory uh, was talking recently, you know, she 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 you know broke down all of this, and she talked about the fact that black she people. Did. Learned riots from white people, but that is a that is an important fact that nobody deals with. There are books yeah. that document document the white riots, and there's a book, actually a, a small book called The White Riot, that documents all of the major white riots. Um, and please be clear, black people don't riot until they move up into the cities, right? Uh, usually, they're the victims of white riots on them. So when we started rioting in the '60s. We learned that tactic of, of, of group racial outrage in public through violent demonstration beyond carrying signs and um, acting in normal civil disobedience like labor unions taught. We learned mm-hmm. the violence of mass urban unrest in a racial moment from the white group in America who used racial riots as a tactic to control black people from the 1870s until the 1940s. Do you hear me? And that is we exactly pick it up, how we it We pick it up after off. World War II. After World War II, we take over riots. Before World War II, white, riots are white only. Yes. That's exactly how it popped off in Minneapolis. And you can't get this on CNN. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Because one of the things that we think is that somebody's got our back because they're on the television talking about it, talking about using the race word and talking about Black Lives Matter and talking about how horrible it is, but not talking about it in the next segment of what we're doing here tonight is not talking about it in terms of murder. Right. Right, thank you. Right, that this is a this is the effect, and and they're they're you know they're they're reacting to to effects and and not dealing with causes, and um, exactly. you know the Atlanta the Atlanta police out here now riding around the uh, around the Wendy's and they don't understand this is no longer in their control. They've lost control. They they they've lost the authority. See, in Hannah Arendt's work on violence, she says that when you engage in power, when you uh, if, if you've lost your authority. You have to engage with power. Power and authority do not coexist, she said. Either, in other words, if a cop's badge doesn't have its, doesn't get the respect it's supposed to conjure, then they have to resort to violence because the authority is lost. So they got to use power. And so what we're seeing now is the absence and the loss, of the, the loss of authority in America. The poli- these white boys, I'm not going, I'm not going to make them legitimate. These white boys, who are police officers and racists. All over America um, are out of control. These are police riots in America. Stop calling these our riots. 
These are actually police riots. We saw police rioting on the American people. Trump rioted in D.C. and bragged about it, said, let's dominate. This is them bragging about rioting. So this is a police, these are police riots, not um, uh, insurgencies. The police killed a boy last night that they could have they, they kept chasing. They could have kept yeah. chasing. They could have just yeah. kept chasing him. All they had to do was keep yeah. running, keep running. Nobody had to die last night. Even with the taser, the boy didn't. The boy had just dropped it. If you watch the film carefully, the boy drops the taser. The cop drops his. As the boy drops it, look carefully. The boy is turned backwards. He turns. He's dropping the taser and slipping and falling. And the cop then drops his taser, which is already attached to his back from the very first clip. You see him running behind him with the taser attached to his body, which CNN seems to not see. Um, so he, the cop and he both have these lighted, these lit take tasers. And so my point to you is when he puts down his taser, the cop puts those down his and puts out his gun, bumps on the car, and shoots him after he puts down the taser. Yes. Yeah. That's murder. And we have to call it what it is. And 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 and, and that building is burning, and now now law. the Wendy's is gone forever. That Wendy's is gone forever. Bye. And it's so perfect that it's Wendy's. <laughs> if this was a poor family that you know a mom pa shop or a black owned restaurant that had been there for twenty five years, no, this is Wendy's, and it's a symbol of capitalism. It's a symbol of Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Commission, that is funding the Stand Your Ground laws that go back to Trayvon Martin and back to white people shooting black people wherever they want in America and claiming they had rights. So Alec is implicated in this burning. So when you see this building burning, instead of fussing at the kids, fuss at the fact that Wendy's allows police officers to come and kill black people when they fall asleep from drinking too much in a in a driveway instead of somebody helping yeah. him and saying, brother, let me pull you over. Miss Graham, I can't tell you how many times I was, when I was young I was out drinking and at clubs and got too drunk and then ended up in my car and didn't need to be trying to drive and just sat there. And the, I remember one night a group of black men, I praise them to this day wherever they are, bless all of them, a group of brothers found me in my car drunk one night about two miles from my house, and I was drunk. And they they came to me. And they knocked on my window. They could have robbed me and killed me. These brothers asked me where I live. I could barely tell them. These brothers took me home. All four of them took me home, took me to my room, put me in my bed, and left. And I don't know who they are. That could have happened last night. These bastards killed him because they wanted to kill him. They want to murder us right now. And I'm not even into this, Ms. Graham. My, My field is political science, so it's very, you know, wonky. You know, it, it's not passionate. It's not, you know, it's white. It's as white as the law enforcement is, political science is. We black folk who do political science, we don't even, we really call it black politics. We don't even call ourselves political scientists. We do black politics. And what we're seeing today is a part of our, our tradition of black people rising up with violence, with fire, with flame. And, yes, there are absolutely negative sides to it because we usually end up mm-hmm. the largest number of people that end up hurt. So I don't want to mm-hmm. romanticize it. But I'm trying to give it some explanation that we have this tradition, and people have, in, in L.A., for example, with Rodney King. Rodney King got beat March of 1991. Nobody rioted. It was only after Latasha Harlan's case where the white judge, um, uh, Judge uh, Joyce Harlan, a white blonde woman, let Sunja do, 
who shot Latasha Harlins in the back of the head get off on community service. That's why L.A. blew up, and that's why I was able to tell my professor L.A.'s about to blow up. Not because of Rodney King. Black people don't riot because of criminals, Miss Graham. That's how beautiful we are. That's how beautiful we are. We don't riot for but criminals. I mean, that's why I told the police. Ain't nobody rioting for no criminal. Wasn't nobody rioting for Rodney King in 1992. They were rioting for Latasha Harlins. The civil rights movement did not begin with Rosa Parks in the back of the bus like these white people have lied to us all these years. The civil rights movement begins two months earlier with Emmett Till's death. Yes. An innocent black yes. boy. That's the beginning of the civil rights movement. But all your life you were told the back of the bus when it was Emmett Till in Money, Mississippi, a little black boy from Chicago who had been lynched on August 28, 1955. That date is important, Ms. Jo- Ms. Ms. Graham, because Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream March, the date was August 28, 1963. They chose the day of the murder of Emmett Till to give I Have a yes. Dream, and don't nobody yes. know it. So I'm trying to help people see. Let me say this real quickly. quickly. The moment that Rosa Parks is in that seat, she had been kicked out that bus 11 years earlier by the same racist when she was investigating the rape of Reese Taylor in Abbeville, um, Alabama. But this time she wasn't letting him throw her off. Why? Because two months earlier... Emmett Till had been murdered. That's why Rosa Parks didn't get up. And that's why um, um, all of the black community, just like we upset about Trayvon and all these other innocent young black people, that's why America's burning tonight. That's why it will burn every time they kill one of us. And the the research shows at Harvard, Harvard just did a study in in the last few months that for every one of these shootings that black people in the state see, so now in Georgia, all the black people in Georgia will be traumatized for 90 days, they say, when a person is yeah. unarmed, when the police shoot them for 90 days. So every time you see a shooting, Miss Graham, the Harvard study just came out, says for 90 days, every black person in the state where a shooting happens stays traumatized for 90 days if the person is unarmed. If they're mm-hmm. armed, Miss Graham, mm-hmm. they have zero trauma because ain't nobody rioting for no criminals. Well, I'm glad to hear that because my daughter and granddaughter went last Saturday to get um, – Firearms training and yes, we need to both everywhere. Yeah, and and they're both going to be Negroes with guns. Yep. But I want to point out to people who are listening, if you'd like to join us in this conversation, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. And in the second hour, we'll be taking your calls. The other is tonight. I I give a lot of thought, Dr. Taylor, to how I label the episodes of this broadcast. And I want to emphasize that rebellion, murder, and elections, qualified immunity is the title of this episode. And it is very specific and targeted to the things that we need to be centering our thoughts centering our action plan and centering a reflection because there has been rebellion in the last two weeks. There has been murder in the last two weeks. We have been considering an election, believing somehow that it is going to change the nature of our black existence And I'm asking the question tonight, to what extent is there qualified immunity in our rebellion, 
in our murder and elections. I get very nervous, Dr. Taylor, when everybody's on the uh, talking machine and the television talking about how wonderful it is to see the demonstrators out. Yeah. How wonderful yeah. it is that people yeah. are coming together. Yeah. And, and the irony is it's usually these gay men, um, like, uh, 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 what's his name on CNN, Anderson Cooper, and uh, uh, what's the brother's name? Uh, 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 Don Lemon. Don Lemon. Right? Now look at this. I watch him. I'm, I, I'm a professor at the University of San Francisco. I know the history of gay people better than most uh, most gay people do. I'm here. I've been here for 20 years in the in ground zero of homosexuality on the planet Earth. Um, and uh, you know, and, and so when you start talking about you know you know these issues as it relates to us and as it relates to um, you know this whole moment we're in, um, th- there's a whole you know layer. Um, you know, a whole layer to this that, that, that you know, that, that we can go further into. Yes, it, it really is. And because I think that some people are using that, as I said, as a microfiber uh, blanket to place over black rage to, yeah. to somehow uh, it, comfort it. it, it. Yeah. It, and it, I, am know, not, was... I, I am not one to be comforted at this point. Because there is rebellion that is speaking to the rage of a history of people. It right. didn't just start right. with, I can't breathe. Right. But the, the irony it's, is, though, like, as I was saying, the gay movement celebrates its beginning through two riots. And that's what I'm talking about with Anderson Cooper and um, Don Lemon. They're out on CNN just crying, oh, the violence, oh, the violence, oh, the violence, oh, the violence is so bad. And yet the week before that, they, uh, this, it's Pride Weekend here in San Francisco. This, this is the high point of the gay calendar right now in San Francisco. And, um, you know, and, and yet they celebrate the violence of what most gay people don't know about, of the Compton riots, which happened in San Francisco, that nobody knows about, but I do, because I'm here, and most gay people don't know nothing about it. They know about the Stonewall riot, and they all launched the celebratory beginning of the gay movement, which wasn't even a riot. It was like a police arrest of a few people, and then gays propagandized it as a riot and the beginning of their movement. And I have two white, two gay men on CNN every night saying, oh, the black violence is so bad, this is so bad. But as gay men, they celebrate the beginning of the gay movement with a violent riot in New York City at the Stonewall um, uh, Cafe where some racist cops and bully cops and homophobic cops beat up on some gay men and the gay men beat the cops behind. And that's the Stonewall riot. So, so th- that's the irony of, this, of what happens with CNN. I think the best thing, Ms. Graham, to do is while you watch CNN, turn off the volume. Because if you listen to it, it will corrupt your understanding of what you're seeing. I do it all the time. I have it on now. Right now, I'm able to watch it peacefully. But if you turn it on, all they have is police. All they have is judges, uh, prosecutors, lawyers. You don't see no activists. I'm talking about well, in the booth. I never watch CNN, and I don't yeah. recommend. Well, that I can't watch Fox watch and, and CNN. CNN. MSNBC is the racist that tried to, you know, that put us back to the 19th century with the the, uh, the Byron Allen case. So we should be, you know, saying the hell with MSNBC uh, more more fiercely than Fox. I mean, MSNBC has been more harmful to black people than than Fox. But and here's, Fox the, is here, the devil. here's the thing. And Fox here's is the, the devil. Thing. 
In inside of our black rage, uh, Dr. Taylor, and we're gonna have to take a break in a few minutes so we can um, take a breath. But um, in in inside all of this, black people are not supporting independent black media. Black media, but that they will. Does I think they will. Support. I think they will. I think I think you have to give it some time. I think they will under these conditions. I've been doing this since people, 1995. Right, but look at the, for example, look at the young brother. There's a young brother named Mikey Williams. I'm going to give you an example. There's a young brother named Mikey Williams. My son's playing AAU basketball. There's a kid that's the next LeBron. Everybody know, who knows basketball knows about named Mikey Williams. Uh, his mom is awesome. Um, uh, and he's thinking about going to HBCU. And, and you look him up, please, so you can be up on this boy because he's the next big thing in the NBA. But he's coming from the black community, and his attitude is looking at all this stuff he's seeing in America. He don't want these white, the white system. He don't want to help make more, more white schools rich and use black boys and throw them out. So just like the My other boy, uh, Jake Jalen Green, recently. Time. My grandson talks about it. That's how I know yeah. who he is. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, this is the, so. If he goes to HBCU, just like uh, Jalen Green just went to the the developmental league instead of going to college to make the money. Now, you know, these young brothers, you know, they they they're, they're doing their thing, and I, and young women too. And I want to respect them, and I respect what we're seeing on TV. I'm not I'm again, I'm not I'm not romanticizing it, but you have to understand, I'm a man who was in LA for the for, from '85 on, you know, till '98. So I was in yeah, L.A. throughout yeah. before, during. I was on the streets when the riots happened. I went out there and cleaned up O.J. Simpson's P.S. storage on Crenshaw Boulevard. That's where James Taylor was when the riots happened. And we were being led by L.A. Clipper, Olden Polonese, who was just a brother in the streets and got everybody together with shovels, and we was trying to do the right thing. I was talking yeah. to white strangers. So I didn't smell this, I didn't smell this out here. This is, this, this is their turn. My generation did this. The hip-hop generation, your generation did this. Because it's a part of our black tradition that we developed. Look, I wish I had more time to lay, lay all of this out, but I don't. But if you understand yeah, black, you people, do. black people, black people became Christians only to borrow it to talk to white people. Black people borrow yeah. violence to burn cities because they learned it as a language from white people. Let me lay out again. I, black people don't understand this about their own history, that it will still take 150 years from 2020 for them to have been yeah. Christian since yeah. the 1840s, do the math, as long as your ancestors have rejected it from 1555 to the 1850s. So you still knew yeah. black yeah. people as Christians. Yeah. And, and let me give you some more proof. I'm wait, writing wait, a book wait. on People's let... Temple. I'm writing a book uh -huh. on People's Temple and Jim Jones. Um, the cult tradition in black people's history, like jazz, blues, tap dancing, um, uh, that was uh, something we took up to the cities with us, and they, it, they, they were more prominent, not, not in terms of status, but in terms of numbers. The, 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 the storefront cult churches, like Father Divine, Daddy Grace, um, Reverend Meshaw, um, and many others throughout the country, women and men, um, that was the norm of black religion in the cities when we moved to Chicago, when we moved to, uh, when we moved to Detroit. We're not going to the Baptist church, even though we had embraced it. We become, in the cities, black folk become more cult-oriented than they become Christian. And here's my proof. The Morris Science Temple, the Nation of Islam, the Rastafarian movement, those are all black cults. And the cult tradition, see, people are tripping on the word cult because they've been 
stupefied by it, and they, they, they don't even understand their own culture. And that's all it really means is their culture. It's a black subculture. And what I'm saying to you is that we had uh, mobilized this culture again and again by different means, and, and we had moved from the plantation into the cities, and when we moved to the cities, we're not moving up in, the, in Chicago and Detroit and Cleveland in churches. We, be, we, we are still not being Christian. We have cults. I'm saying Father Divine and Daddy Grace were more common than Reverend So-and-so, and most black people don't know it. If you want to see the research, there's a book called The Black Metropolis by Sinclair Drake and Horace Caton, one of the best books ever written in history. That's the book. It documents what I'm talking about, how the, the Father Divine was more popular than anybody in Harlem, including Joe Lewis, W.E.B. Du Bois, and others. Father Divine was the most popular man. What, what does that mean? What does that represent? Well, the Nation of Islam is a cult, and most black people don't act like it. Most black people act like the Nation of Islam is not a cult. The, black, the Nation of Islam is our cult. It's ours. It's one of ours. It's one of the last ones standing. And I'm saying to you, Ms. Graham, that that is an extension of our rejection of Christianity on the plantation. So that as we're moving in the 1930s and 40s, we're still not fully Christian. We're still struggling with it by, uh, by embracing these cult forms like the Nation of Islam, Father Divine, the Morris Science Temple, Rastafarianism, and then there, every city in America. Where were you born, Ms. Graham? In West Graham? Palm Beach, Florida. West oh, Palm boy. Beach, Florida. <laughs> That's too, that's too, you got to tell me who was down there, because I don't know. But I can assure you, every city in America <laughs> had a well-known cult leader. Philly, Detroit, they Chicago, they call, Boston. They called the Nation of Islam when I was growing up, them crazy Negroes. That's right. And, and, and we don't forgot that, you know, because we've gotten used to them since we learned to respect Mike yeah. Malcolm, and we've gotten confused about the history of Malcolm and Farrakhan and mushed it all up, and everybody thinks everything is cool with them and all of that kind of confusion. But, but, but you're right. There was a time, because uh, I came into knowledge of the Nation of Islam as a teenager in the 70s, and my mother, you know, uh, not, my, not my mother, but, you know, many Christian black mothers were like, you know, that, them, that's, a, you know that's a cult, that's a cult. Well, yeah. Well, let me, and let, we me, act let, like, me we, let me just tell let me just tell you a, t uh, a tale, uh, a story here. I traveled with um, uh, the Minister Farrakhan on uh -huh. his Stop the Violence tour. Yeah, in L.A. One of the, nice. Yeah, um, all over the country, Miami, Chicago, San Antonio. Um, I had people who were writing to me, the local newspaper, uh was telling me that uh, w was talking about how black people are being manipulated by the the honorable uh Louis Farrakhan how and and you know and then the black people who are going around to, you know so we do get confused but we're going to have to go to a break and when we come back I really want to get into the idea of of qualified immunity on murder under the cover of law. Our guest tonight is Dr. James Taylor, and we hope that you will stay with us for if you'd like to join us in our chat room, it's blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And um, if you would like to write it down, um our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. We're glad. We're we're so happy to uh, have Dr. Taylor with us again because he is just an encyclopedia.
of black history and black truth. We'll be right back. Everybody thinks we're Listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. We're not desperate for heroes in the black community. Any nigga that survives this nightmare is my goddamn hero. Transforming truth. Of power, one broadcast at a time. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers. But we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists. But we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. What is that? Oh, that? It's my time machine. Does it work? Sure. Just hit this button. Whoa, dinosaurs. Cool. Or we can go here. Hey, that's Napoleon. Me. Or we can go to the future. Wow, hey, you have this nice house. Do I have a nice house? No, you didn't save any money, always spent it on vacations and stuff. If only there was a way I could go back in time and correct that bad habit. Yep. Okay, the time machine is not real, but the saving thing is. Get in the habit of putting some of your money in savings each week through a 401k, savings account, or financial investment. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy tips on saving, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. What does this crazy little button do? Wait, no! This mess is brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Venus Williams. You know, I heard recently that the two main reasons for not getting an annual mammogram are limited access and fear. I know that there are low-cost and even free screenings at some hospitals and clinics, and I've even heard of mobile mammogram units in some areas. Talk about service. Look, I know getting a screening is not as exciting as shopping, but life is for living. So take the first step to breast health. Get the mammogram. For more information, please visit BreastCancerAwareness.com.
Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. to Janice. And every time I hear that slipping back uh, into into darkness, I think about Fred Hampton. That was one of his jams. (laughs) That was, I'm talking about Fred Hampton Sr. That was one of his jams. That was that was something that when there was turmoil, yeah. when there was which way to go, Dr. Taylor, wh- yeah. where where are we going to be? How are we going to survive this madness? I think, he, I, I think he'd be proud of these young people right now because I think he would explain yeah, all the too. contradictions uh, of capitalism, the contradictions of police violence, all of the things that the Panthers were opposing and black people in general have always opposed are in play here right now. Um, tonight, and this is, you know, part of part of the reality that when you look at our history, um, you know, you know, as I was saying, you can draw a direct line from Harriet Tubman to Frederick Douglass to Sojourner Truth to the abolitionist movement and NAACP all the way through Martin to Martin Luther King when he says, "I have a dream." That's basically black folk using religion to, as an instrument, not as a means to get to heaven, but as a social as a social justice secular. They're using it. It appears to be religious, but they're trying to get secular freedom as in terms of democracy. And they use religion from Harriet Tubman being the first Moses to, I, to King. I have a dream. You basically can draw a line from Harriet Tubman to King, and that is that whole era. And it ends pretty much with King. And then at that point, even before that. I'm not trying to make a, a strict line. Even before that, black folk have begun believing in Christianity for the sake of self, you know, eternal salvation. The Bible is theology, etc. But for a time, uh, it was ridiculous. It was absurd amongst blacks to be Christians for, for centuries. It was laughable amongst the slaves for centuries, not for you know some small period. Um, so the idea of black Christianity became a new thing. Largely, I'm trying to show us because black people decided, okay, maybe these white folk. We'll, we'll practice what they preach if we become what they say they are, and we'll talk to them the way they talk about Jesus and God and heaven. Okay, we got baptized as slaves. Oh, we can't get free? Oh, wow, we can't get free. So we got baptized and we couldn't get free. Getting baptized was to get free. It was not to get to heaven. Black people were getting baptized to get free from chains because they thought getting baptized would lead to social freedom, and they couldn't get it. So then they resort to other means. I'm saying to you that we have always been a people in struggle perpetually. That is our, that is our homeostasis. Struggle is our norm. Mm-hmm. Peace is our, if peace breaks out with us. Struggle is our norm. Occasional peace breaks out with us. Struggle is the norm. Harriet Tubman breaks out. Struggle is the norm. Frederick Douglass breaks out. Struggle is the norm. Martin Luther King breaks out. Struggle is the norm. You know, and Obama happens. I'm not saying anything more than that. I just said Obama happens. I ain't making no other statement. And Obama happens, you know. Um, And then we're right back to struggle, aren't we? Aren't we back to our norm? Yes. We're back to our norm after this Obama breakthrough. And 
And one of the things that we lose sight of, that in a time of peace, we cannot revise our existence. We can't forget that the that the next war, the next uh, movement has to be planned, has to be laid out, and we have to do the education and the training necessary to continue to wage a war where we struggle. Dr. Yes. Taylor, we've got a caller, and I want to go to a caller because, you know, I get a lot of email about you keep giving out the number and then you don't answer. <laughs> That's because I have people like you, and we don't need to pause right. while we're getting this education. Right. 504, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. 504? Thank you. So, yes, thank, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. I'm calling from New Orleans, Louisiana. I am also a host of a blog talk radio show called New Orleans Wake Up. And uh, I uh, was listening. I just tuned in maybe about 15 minutes ago. And what I wanted to contribute to the discussion is when we talk about structural or systemic racism, to me a great example to show black people uh, how structural and systemic racism works is even when you have a black person at the head of something, Right. And the structure that they're the head of still right. runs black people over. Yeah. Excellent. Which means that the black people in these structures not capable of transforming these structures into just operations. But when a white person is in that structure, the structure does what it was designed to do, run over black people. That's right. Think, just, think about, just, just, think, just think about Dallas alone with Botham John, where that cop uh, shot him, her, you know, her neighbor. Um, uh, the, the chief was black. The judge was black. Mm-hmm. The, the investigating officers were black. Here in Atlanta, everything is black. And you still, mm-hmm. and in D.C., everything is still black mm-hmm. in terms of power mm-hmm. at, at the city level. Mm-hmm. And you know, to make your point, and, and yet we still find ourselves here in the most black city in America in the streets tonight. Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the last point I want to make is, It is obvious that we are self-esteem deficient. We want love from other people. And when we see different faces come among us, huh? That's part of the trauma. Yeah, yeah, but when we see different faces come among us, we become so happy, we become so joyous, yeah, we think yeah. it's a new day. We think yeah. it's a new day. And yeah. some of the euphoria, some of the yes, euphoria sir. you see many of us have because we have all these other people around us is the same yeah. euphoria we had when Obama was elected president. You couldn't tell us anything. Ms. Graham need to have you on as a, as a, as a, as a guest, brother, because you're you spot on. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't tell us nothing. When Obama became president, you saw all these That's white right. people voting for him. We don't need no black agenda. He's going to be for everybody. And this right. is kind of, I see some people with this right now when they see but, all but this. But then and when we you see, even talk about yeah. that, Obama couldn't even identify that he was being run over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. You know, it's black trauma. Yeah. It's black trauma. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah, you know, black yeah. trauma can sometimes, some sometimes, sometimes black trauma can cover up the black rage, can suck it into a vortex. 
What is Neely Fuller's famous statement that if, until you understand white supremacy, everything uh, else, else you do will confuse you? Else you understand just serves to confuse, confuse you. Yep. Exactly. Right. He, he says you know, if, if you I don't understand what racism is, yeah. That's right. Because that makes yeah. your point, sir, but that, but, you know, the cops the cops kneeling down with people, the white folk side by side with us and all of that. Ask anybody what happened to that little black boy that hugged that cop, that little black boy that hugged the cop in Baltimore. Where is he? Anybody know? I know. He's dead. Yeah. Because two dead. white women, lesbian white women, took him and his sisters and drove them in a van off a cliff and killed all of them. Oh, the wow, boy, the wow. Boy, I forgot the about that. The little boy with the, the, the right. tan leather coat in the hat, the little cute little black boy that hugged the That's Baltimore right. cop in the Baltimore riots is dead. Because a white, two did. white women liberals yep. adopted him and his two sisters, and they drove them off a cliff. That little boy was in everybody, on, on Time magazine and everything. That Don't nobody even talk about him. That boy yeah. clearly in that picture was asking for help. He was an abused child, and he was afraid to ask for it, but he was looking for comfort wherever he could find it. Yep. And yep. Ju- it, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even six months after that photograph appeared across the wor- around the world that the, that the murder... Yep. Of yep. all of those black children, and nobody talks about that, mm-hmm. and that's right. why I think nobody we should talks. be careful no, about hugging I, the police and taking meals with the police. There's another case in, in Columbus where the cop was shown break dancing with the black community at a barbecue, and the next week he's in there with a bunch of um, a bunch of cops beating the hell out of the community. The same cop. Mm-hmm. That's so right. we need to stop this foolishness. The Panthers ain't going. We, the Panthers we need in to go back. Do, right. I said this last week, I said it the week before. We need to go back when we're when we are really concentrating and thinking of the culture of policing in America. We need to go back to Chris Dorma. He right. was That's telling right. the right. truth about the Los Angeles Police Department That's right. That's and right. they decided that to he needed to be to kill 500 him. 500 cops. 500 cops. That's right. That's 500 right. cops. That's right. 500 cops on one call for a black cop who told the truth that a white woman cop or, or other kicked a woman cop, kicked a, a suspect in the head, and that's what led to the lynching of Chris Donner, Donner by LAPD. The culture of American policing has always been racist. Let's be clear on mm-hmm. that. Listen to me carefully. There's a book called Urban Policing. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm telling you the scholarship shows. Basically, and this is what most people don't know, policing and black people basically are like twins. Basically, we grow up together, move into the cities around the 1880s, you know, 1870s, 18, when we start migrating out the South after Reconstruction, 1870s, and we start peaking in the 1900s, 1920s, policing is, learning, is cutting its teeth there. And everybody makes a mistake when they say the slave patrol started policing. Here's the more accurate reading. B- policing in America begins in Boston at the Boston Police Department out of the British uh, watchman system. Then it moves to New York. And th- so that's the East Coast policing. Then in the West Coast, they had these, because of the West Coast being settled much later in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, you know, when New York was settled in the 1400s, 1500s, um, you had these vigilante societies because they didn't have police and sheriffs here. So you had these vigilante groups that became famous. The most famous was the San Francisco Vigilante uh, Society, and they killed people, and they were basically, you know, a form of policing. If we're looking for a form of policing, vigilantism was how policing got started in the West Coast. Then down south. 
it was a slave patrol. So I'm saying to the audience, policing in America started three different ways in three different regions, not one place in one way. And you sound ignorant when you say policing started out of the slave patrols because the slave patrols, the, the, the police in Boston went to war with the police in Alabama in the Civil War. So they weren't on the same but side. What is the name of that very famous security company um, that is um, still Eric, around? Z? Um, no, uh, it was You're a talking about company. Black, Blackwater? No, it, it was Blackwater. prior to the FBI. Prior to the FBI, the it creation of the FBI. High. It was in the, it, it actually oh, started. No, it, it was a, I think it was it's a pol- about. private policing company that that they primarily now pick up money from banks. Oh, um, oh, Wells Fargo. What? Not Wells Fargo. It was before what, what, Wells Fargo. Bank? I, I, okay. Um, I, I can't think yeah, of the name. It starts with a P. I think it starts with a P. You, you, you're thinking about Pinkney. No, yeah, it was one. right. It was some little group, right? It was some sort security type group. Yeah, it's a it's a it's very about. famous. It's one of the largest security companies in the country, and it started in the in 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 the Wild West. Oh, and okay. When the patty okay. rollers right. and the patty rollers of the South started going into the frontier, they were hired by this com- company mm. to to um, police Native Americans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, they had and all kinds of vigilante mostly, groups. Absolutely, they, absolutely. They were mostly they were mostly Irish people that That's they were right. hiring because most See, of and, the and Graham, it's so were, important to make that point about the Irishness of policing. See, I, I wish we just had more time because it's so important to understand the detail, the niches. The first ever police riot on black people happened in 1866, exactly one year after the the. Um, the Civil War in Memphis, the same city that killed King. That's the first time police rioted on black people. And it was, I have a book here that documents it, and it was the first time. The black soldiers were still there, and they were young. The Irish police officers were there. They were young. They would get drunk. They would end up having fights. The police rioted on a whole black community um, in 1866. That's the first time ever, once blacks got free, the first year we were free, I'm saying to the audience, the first year we were free, the next year we were free was the first time police rioted on us. I'm, no, and and nobody tells us that. Nobody tells us that, a, but it happened in Memphis, and there's scholarship I can give you if you need to document it. And to be clear, this is the beginning of – and the book explains this. The book says effectively it was about – it was an Irish race war with blacks. If you took out the police part, it was Irish versus blacks. And that's what the policing – and that's my point to you all. When I talk about blacks and policing, blacks and policing grow up as twins, the Irish get here in the 1840s. The Irish ain't here in the 1400s, the 1700s, the 1800s. The Irish come in 1846 specifically. And the Irish, uh, given in 1900, they become white, according to Ronald Takaki. When they get accepted to Harvard and Yale, they become white. It takes them 50 years. And then they are given cities and municipalities like Boston, New York, Chicago, like the Daily Machine. And they run cities like they ran L.A., they ran the Castro district in San. They ran San Francisco. The, the Irish were the main racists who were hostile to blacks. And if we really had time, we'd get even deeper because even minstrel was the, fir- the, the first whites to black up. And minstrel were young white boys who had been dancing with us in, the, in friendly environs. They, and then they turned on us. The, 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 the idea of the, the, the Irish betrayal of black people 
is so underappreciated. We even sent a man named Charles Remond, who was the Frederick Douglass before Frederick Douglass was Frederick Douglass, over to Dublin to talk to their leader, Danny O'Connell, the man that sings, oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes mm-hmm. are falling. Him. We talked to him, brother. We sent a leader before Frederick Douglass became a part of the abolitionist movement named Charles Remond. Look him up, Remond, R-E-M-O-N-D. He went to Dublin, mm-hmm. representing the black movement, and said to their leader, please support the black abolitionist cause, support black America. I'm telling you the history of the Irish betrayal of black people. Minstrel was one. Yes. Policing is the other. If you hear what I'm saying, nobody else talks like this. But this is the truth of racism and policing in America. We even had a leader go to Dublin. And here's what happens to Danny O'Connell. When, when, when Danny O'Connell agrees to support the American black cause, their George Washington in Ireland, Danny O'Connell agrees to support us. And the Irish, listen to me, the Irish in America say to him, we cannot support the Negro, we must be loyalists. And then the backlash on Danny O'Connell, it destroyed him as a national leader, and his career ended. Now, you, and, and think about that. That's their George Washington, their founding leader. And our situation in America, the Irish brought him down before they would support our cause. And when you see the Irish, when you see minstrel, Minstrel came out of Irish boys and black boys working together in Long Island, right. um, Atlanta, uh, New Orleans, where you from, brother, around the waterwork. Mm-hmm. And they would, when they mm-hmm. had a break, here, I tell you what, Google the book, How the Irish Became White, and you'll see the artwork mm-hmm. on the front of it. There's a whole, here's another book. It's called The Creolization of American Culture. That book, that yeah. book document, you can see all the artwork of what I'm talking about, how beautiful these black men were, and how the Irish saw these beautiful black men. Please get that book, The Creolization of America, because that's what they first saw. These brothers were beautiful. And then the sudden, the Irish all of a sudden blacken up, and then they turn it, excuse my word, they ended up, and they turned these brothers who were beautiful into monsters. And then at about the 1840s, we become known, you know, it becomes more vulgar. And then so from the 1840s to the 1940s, blackface was the main means to selling popular market items in the American um, marketplace. That's a a whole part of our history. One of the that we don't talk about a century of, that, folks, of menstrual, a, a century of blackface um, marketing to dehumanize us from 1840 to 1940. And one of one of the traditions that came out of that movement, uh, for those of you who uh, grew up in the South, was Silas Green, brother. I know you know what I'm talking about. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, but it, it was it was the Pinkerton Company that was founded in 1850, right after uh, Dr. Taylor. Right. Uh, what you're talking about right. when when black right. leadership uh, 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 confronted and yeah. went to Dublin. It yeah. was a Pinkerton yeah. company that yeah. was founded. So, 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 so that's how deep the Irish betrayal of us is, and nobody talks about it, brother. But please hear me. This, this book documents how the first race riot of police on us was basically a Irish riot against black people. And most of the policing, if you've seen the movie Gangs of New York, there's a whole episode yes. where the Irish riot in New York because the Irish don't want to fight for us. But we have been. But when they moved to America in the 1840s, no white people wanted them. They weren't even white. And here's something you need to tell all your Irish friends: the Irish, the word Irish is an N-word for them, and nobody even knows it. They decided, like we use the word N with the A, our kids, 
have decided to adopt the word as ours, the Irish did that. The Irish were used, being called Irish was a race slur in Europe because they weren't even considered white. They were called Irish like we are called the N. That's what the Irish mean. Irish means N. I kid you not, amongst the Europeans. And then they decided to embrace it like our children do the N-word and say, okay, if we're N's, we're going to be proud of it. So there's nothing more proud than the fighting Irish. Notre yeah, Dame. Yeah, yeah. Um, brother, tell us again. But they betrayed when, us. When when we can yeah. catch your your um, are you live or are you a podcast? I, I I'm live, usually live. I usually broadcast 1 p.m. Central Time uh, during the weekday, and sometimes <laughs> and what's the name whenever of I want to do a show. New Orleans, wake up. That's the name of my show. Okay. Well, brother, if you okay, don't, ever well, want to reach me, to... you can reach me at the university. Okay, I see information on the sisters' uh, show description there. Yeah, thank you. And, and yeah. Ms. Girl, okay. I want to continue okay. real quickly before we before we lose too much time with this concept that with, with your line of on on the, the act of war of of the state of war. I, I think we, we we never really appreciated that John Brown, um, the famous uh, revolutionary abolitionist in the 1850s, he fundamentally felt that slavery itself. The enslaving, the enslavement of Africans was an act of war, and so we are. And a lot of people don't like to hear this because they just want to live their lives and they don't got time for this kind of stuff to be thinking about this. And that's how it, this how it never gets resolved. And here we are in 2020 with issues that weren't resolved in the 1800s. And so, um, you know, we are we were basically the the contraband of war. We 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 were in a state of war as, as slaves in America. So being slaves was a um, being enslaved was an act of war, and then slavery was a condition of war. So we are the descendants of an act of war in enslaving Africans, and then a condition of war in holding them for centuries. That's 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 what abolition implica- implicated. Finally, breaking us free from war that had been committed on Africa in general by Europe and North America in general, and so um, against the non-white world. And that's why Du Bois says the problem of the 20th century was the problem of the 20th the, uh, of the color line because it was the fulfillment mm-hmm. of that early, uh, 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 it, you know, encroachment by Europe. And this is the thing, Miss Miss Graham. I saw a white woman today yelling at a Korean woman to my, why don't you go back to your country? We don't want you here. And I think black people and everybody else need to just tell white people, y'all ain't from here. White people need to understand. They need to lose their arrogance. I think white people are shameful and pathetic. I think they should all apologize and grow up. That's how I feel. I feel like, like in 2020, y'all are still playing 14th century games about skin color when the rest of the world is trying to move on to the next planet. But white people, because they can't get over, I mean, the whole system was set up for them to win, and they're still unhappy because they weren't righteous in the way they got where they are. So they got ten times more wealth than you and me in their pockets, right? They got all the wealth, but they're more miserable than any white people on the planet. No white people in the world are as unhappy as American white people. No people in the world, no white people in the world are dying 
look, Ms. Graham, we're upset about this brother dying in Atlanta. Let me help us feel a little bit different. 130 white people died today from opioids. Every time they shoot one black person, uh, 130 white people died that day. You hear me? When you go to sleep tomorrow, Ms. Graham, 130 white people are going to die. The day after, 130 white people are going to die until they figure out what, why white people are so unhappy. Ms. Graham, in 33 out of 50 states in America, that's most of America, white people are dying faster than they're growing. White people are on a trajectory downward to become a minority in 50 years. By the time your grandchildren are my age, in 2075, 2055, all the U.S. Census projects, everybody not white in America is growing and exploding. And the only group not growing and that's actually and dying that in America fear. is the white that group. So they're killing, listen to me, they're killing themselves trying to keep us down. No other white group dies as young as them on the planet. No other white group in the world gets shot by the police like them in the planet. No other group, white group on the planet Earth spends more time incarcerated than American white people. No, no other group of white people have a shorter life expectancy in the industrialized world. White people in America are the most miserable white people on the planet for trying to keep us down. They can't get health care because they don't want you to have it. Wherever we, ain't, wherever we aren't, they got health care. Europe, Canada, hey, we're all white, Scandinavia, uh, you know, Holland, uh, England, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Scotland, uh, you know, Switzerland. Hey, universal health care, socialism. Not in America, because this white man we got that God gave us, he cannot forgive himself for his evil that he committed upon the Native American people. He will never be able to forgive us for slavery. He will never be able to forgive us for slavery. Because every time he sees your black grandson, and every time he sees me and my son and my daughter, we are proof of who they really are forever. And they can never deny it because we are the evidence that they brought us here and they are not who they say they are. We are the actual alternative to how to be good Americans. We're the good Americans. We're the decent Americans. We're the Americans that will let you shoot us in the church and forgive you before the blood dries. Miss Graham, can you please show me an example of this kind of Christianity anywhere else on the earth? Where a black boy watches his brother get shot by a racist woman who killed him probably because his Christian church music from the Church of Christ where he led singing at Free Hardman College was too much for her, and she was tired that night and got sick of it and went in there and shot him. Bossom John was a legendary church singer. He was a legend at his school. It was at a racist school called Freed Hardeman in, 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 in Tennessee. He was respected by white people, and this woman killed him. And what did his brother do in the courtroom? Hugged the cop and told the judge, don't put her in jail. Miss Graham, you ain't seen that kind of religion from a white man in your life. You ain't seen that kind of Christianity from an Arab or, or the original Christians in the Middle East. Jesus can't find nobody like us, like us on the earth. And that's the deep thing. If we, we show forgiveness like no other people. No, show me a Muslim forgiving a, a, a Jew. Show me a Jew forgiving a Muslim. Show me a white man forgiving one of us for our, forgiving our children for a crime against their family. When the last time you seen a white family come on CNN and say, we forgive you? Or when the last time you seen a white person in the courtroom hug a black offender? We got something that nobody else has, Ms. Graham, and we're we busy putting ourselves down. We, we are high people. We are a, 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 we are a mature people. We are a spiritually mature people. We don't hate people just because. We don't go around bullying on people just because. I'm not talking about bad personal behavior and stupid behavior of individuals. I'm talking about as a people. We don't hate anybody. Who do we hate? 
everybody hates us. Who doesn't, Miss Graham, who does not hate us? Asians? Do Asians in general like us? No. Do Latinos like us? No. Half of us don't like us. (laughs) And this is why John Henry Clark and Elijah Muhammad said, you have no justice coming from no one. And John Henry Clark said, you have no friends. We ain't got no friends in America. And that's why we sit here in 2020 after the black president having to burn a black city to make a point. And that is why we have to examine the qualified immunity that we give to this nation for this history, for this grief and this rage. Because I saw, uh, I don't know if you saw it, Dr. Taylor, I don't know if anybody in the audience saw it, I saw a little girl, a video of a little girl walking in a park with her mother, a police cruiser comes up and stops, and the police officers get out of the car, the police cruiser. And the little girl raises her hands in <clears throat> in fear and begins to cry. Yes. And asks her mother... If they are going to be killed, I just I just wrote on the Facebook page of the Midland uh, Police Department where the 90 year old grandmother saved her 20 year old grandson's life that you opened with when she fell in between them, and I said, "What is wrong with you all?" I said, "Who raised you?" I said, "What is wrong with your mothers and your fathers?" Because to me, Ms. Graham, all that violence we saw last week with these police, these white police acting ignorant and violent towards everybody, to me. This says something about their mamas. And, and if I sound like a sexist, I apologize. I have so much, such deep reverence. And I'm on a woman's show. I would never disrespect women. Uh, my mother is, and, and the reason why I'm saying it is because I was raised by a woman. So that's where my uh, parenting experience comes from. So that's my reference is my mama raised me. So when I say these people act, um, uh, act like they didn't have mamas, that's, what I'm, that's where I'm coming from. I'm not being sexist in the statement and attacking women. I'm trying to say that my mama raised me a certain way. And I don't understand, even through police training, how these dogs act the way they're acting towards our people. They're dogs. They're acting like dogs. And they're behaving like dogs. And these cops have choked a black man since Mr. Floyd in Austin, Texas. They made a 90-year-old black woman fall on her grandson to avoid him getting shot by three white cops in Midland, Texas, because he missed a traffic stop sign. He, he, He didn't stop all the way. That's why they were about to kill him. Rudy Giuliani is behind all of this. Rudy Giuliani and James Q. Wilson. These devils are the two that came up with the broken windows theory of policing, which dealt with the idea of dealing with petty crime, like cleaning up 34th and 42nd Street in, um, in, in Midtown, New York, by cleaning up the squeegee bar, you know, the workers and the, and the panhandlers. Willie Brown tried it in San Francisco to get rid of the, 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 the shopping carts of the homeless and things of that sort. And that's where all of this comes from, Ms. Graham. Rudy Giuliani's mm-hmm. philosophy of policing um, in, the, in the modern era of policing had to do with dealing with petty crimes. So what are the petty crimes? Jaywalking, Michael Brown, selling cigarettes, um, uh, um, uh, Mr. Garner, um, not failing to use a signal, Sandra Bland, failing to use a stop sign, a 21-year-old boy yesterday whose grandmama had to fall on him, uh, jogging in Alabama, sleeping in, 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 in Louisville, 
bill um, being counterfeit when nobody to yes. this day even yes. knows if it was counterfeit. Yeah. Isn't that deep? And, we don't even know if it was counterfeit. In, in our chat room, uh, Green Beasley is mentioning that a 12-year-old girl witnessed the George Floyd murder, and yeah. nobody is talking about that trauma. But Miss Jones, Miss Jones, Miss Jones, Miss Graham, uh, they even the white, but whites are not at whites are Trump. Look, look at this. Listen to me. White people are catching. White people are miserable right now. See, this is their This is the price of what they got and what we don't have economically. Our homes, our schools, our economic inequality. This, this, this chaos and anarchy. If we can't have a piece of this, then y'all can't have no peace. If we can't have a peace, right. you can't have and no peace. Forget has, no peace, no justice. Forget no peace, line. no justice. We don't need peace. I don't, I don't agree with that. No peace, no justice. If we don't get a peace, you don't get no peace. See, no justice is asking them to do right. They ain't never going to do right. Just give us ours. Give us our peace, and we'll build our I own. Think, I, I think that you just hit it, the nail with the hammer. If there, we've got to call it in that way. We've got to say we're not letting our foot off the metal. Ms. Graham, white men make up 34% of the U.S. population, roughly 34 to 36% white males. White males make up 70, 77% of, of national policing out of 1.5 million police officers and 18,000 police yep. stations around the country. 77%. They represent 36% of the population, and everybody's talking about everything but except getting rid of white men in policing. That's what we need to do, get rid of white men yep. in policing. Get, that, that, bring that, their numbers that, down that, to about 40%. Everybody, I promise you the whole culture of policing, the racism, the peer pressure on good cops to behave badly or ignore it, bad cops, to ignore corruption, yep. the immorality. What, what group of people are more immoral? Then there's no group more immoral than police officers in America in terms of the, the lifestyles of individuals. And I know a lot of cops who are great individuals, but they know that m most of these cops we're watching beat people, half of them are high as hell, half of them are drunk. A lot of them are yep. drunk. Yep. Reform has to be that every police department has to fire everybody and yes. that it needs to be a revolution. That's right. A revolution That's in right. policing, yeah. and it has to come from inside. The police have to become revolutionary and say, this is an era we will talk about 20 years from now when the police fired all the racists. That's what, that's yep. what should happen right now. That's ex exactly. All the racists and, should be fired no matter what. The union, let them sue, get them out, and let them fight to get back in. But get most of them out. Most of them will not get back in. But the local police throughout the country, and let's be clear, my wife is in law enforcement. Her career, my wife got a badge and cuffs and everything right here in the, in the next room. Let, so just be clear on that. I tried to become a cop instead of a professor. Let's be clear on that with LAPD. In fact, I watched Eddie Murphy's movie, and Eddie Murphy's from Long Island, and I'm from Long Island, so he did Beverly Hills Cop. So guess which police department I tried to become a cop at? You're right. I tried to become a cop at the Beverly Hills Police Department. I sure did, because I respect policing. Like, I respect baseball mm -hmm. and basketball as a beautiful skill when it's done right. When cops do good policing, I call it. I'm like, damn, that's good policing. But when a cop is a pig, coward racist, who is weak and has nothing else but he's mad at his mama. Look at Darren Wilson. Darren Wilson's mother, the one that killed Michael Graham, 
Michael Brown, Michael Brown. was a mm-hmm. poor white mm-hmm. trash, white trash, white woman who died of an opioid epidemic. That's his mama, Darren Wilson. Yep. He was yep. poor white yep. trash himself. So, so the country, well, you know, supported him, we, we, and and yet he had as much mental problems from his messed up mama. And Michael Brown was more emotionally stable than him, um, uh, even though he was raised up in a single home in that community where he was deeply loved. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this police, many, this whole big... generation of policing, Miss Miss Graham. Nobody else is going to say this. Only on your show will you hear this. If you do the math, and you'll remember this, whose cops are these? Listen to this. Most of these cops who are the command, not the rank and file, not the line officer, not these fools we watching right now in Atlanta on the street, but their command, the chiefs. Guess who made them chiefs? Guess who was them, the, the, the president that brought all of these men in about 25 years ago as these men are now senior leaders in policing? His name was Bill Clinton. So, Ms. Graham, James Taylor is saying on your show, Bill the, Clinton the, from Little yes, Rock, ma'am. Arkansas. The, the Trayvon Martin era of anti-police brutality movement is mainly against the Bill Clinton era um, brass that's still in power. That's what we're seeing. And the, the rank and Bill file Bratton. might... The, the rank and file might be more of a hybrid between the Obama era reforms that collapsed under Trump and Sessions, and now we got this whole era of racist, you know, stepping You're forward in policing. Right now, Dr. Taylor, we have got to uh, close up here, but I think you're absolutely right that when we we can't afford to talk about police reform, we have to talk about police cl- closure of police departments as we know it. And at the local level... Can I get this in real quickly to make that point? Uh, Finally, and that's why I emphasize how how miserable white America is trying to keep us down. And the reason why is because, and I hope you can look up this study by a black woman who's brilliant at Stanford, a psychologist named Jennifer Eberhardt, A-E-B-E-H-A-R-D-T. She's brilliant. Please look her up. Her research showed this, Ms. Ms. Graham. Her research showed that when you uh, do subconscious bias cues, like show a black person in handcuffs and then click it off, and then show another screen of black people behind bars and click it off, and then show another screen of black people in orange, uh, uh, you know, in in prison uniforms and click it off. And listen carefully, not to whites in general, only to whites in New York City and in San Francisco. Jennifer Eberhardt studied only two groups, white New York, white San Francisco, the two most liberal cities in America outside of Berkeley. And the result was in Jennifer Eberhardt's research, Ms. Graham, was shocking. It said that white liberals, when they see black suffering, they want more of it, not less. It's, 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 it's counterintuitive, but it's called not in my backyard. As long as it's over there, I'm cool. So that's what uh-huh. we're experiencing. Uh-huh. So, Ms. Graham, the reason why you saw me volley off all that white pain and white misery is because when we do what you're saying we should do, advocate, we need to help white people understand this system is killing you too. Y'all, y'all, y'all need to yeah. fix it for your kids because, listen to this, Ms. Graham, the number six uh, cause of shooting in America, I mean, the number six cause of death in America is by police shooting for, for young men. Number six. <clears throat> I didn't say the number six for black boys or Mexicans. I said Americans. White boys get shot more than anybody in America, and nobody talks about it. This year, 429 people, including, not, not including the, the few that have been shot in the last two days, uh, 429 people have been shot so, for, so far. 88 will, have been black. 
unfortunately, most of the 88 blacks are unarmed, and the 400 whites are usually armed. That's the difference. But 400 white, roughly, you know, 300 white people, because some Asians and Mexicans, too, in that number, but roughly 300 white people um, have been shot this year, and 88 blacks have. So white people are getting misery. This police state is turning on them, but white people only see the, the machines and the RVs and the AR-15s and the hooded police and the militarization of them as long as it's in Ferguson and Baltimore. But these people need to understand the nature of violence and policing and law. Is, is as Lord Acton says, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. These people will seek more power and use those toys on our people, and eventually they're going to turn it on white America more because white America tolerated it on us. So the reason why America is burning, Ms. Graham, finally, America is burning, Atlanta is burning, this, this building must burn, more must burn in order to save democracy. Our children are burning buildings to save democracy. These buildings can be rebuilt. They were in L.A. Everybody that had a building in 92 got their buildings back. The buildings can be rebuilt. Yeah. But these things must burn in order for democracy to survive. Donald Trump is trying to kill democracy. And black people have been on two fronts trying to save it. In the voting, they even drafted and recruited loser Biden and, and, and revived him when nobody else wanted him because they know that racist whites will vote for a little bit racist Joe, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's racist enough for these white folk to vote for him. And the beauty of black intelligence is we recruited Joe Biden when the Democrats didn't want him. And he, he will likely become president because black people said we to get rid of this devil named Donald Trump. We did it maturely through the electoral primary uh, process through Joe Biden. That's one front. And now our young people are out there on the streets at the grassroots doing what is necessary. America was ignoring them as long as they were behaving and acting uh, civil. And now that these buildings are burning, unfortunately, I don't want any of our children to die. I don't want to lose one life. But they're responding because some cop last night representing the state decided to take a life that he could have just let the boy keep running until he was, he was drunk or, 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 or inebriated, just let the boy keep running. And, and, and I said this on my Facebook page tonight, Ms. Graham, and I'll, I'll stop after this. I asked this question. Are, 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 are warning shots no longer in policy? Why couldn't that cop shoot yeah. up in the air? He would have stopped. Don't you think he would have stopped if he heard that bullet go up in the yeah. air, if he heard the 9 millimeter go up in the air, boom, he would have stopped? But the cop didn't even think twice about stopping. He just pulled out the gun and killed. And white police in America, because of their racism, they, they see everything as a, uh, as a nail, and they use a hammer. And, and that's the tragedy. So I'm not going to tell white people about my suffering. At my job, Ms. Um, Graham, I got all my coworkers, all these white folk crying in the emails, begging. And look, I got one colleague that got rid of Martin Luther King's attorney from my department. Right? Got, got rid of Martin Luther King's attorney. When I was the chair of the department, as you see, um, I had Martin Luther King's attorney in my department. He's still alive. He's still there at the school. I had him in my department. This white woman comes into power. The first thing she does is get rid of him. But she wrote me the other day crying, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about everything that's going on with you and your family, and I'm so sorry about everything. This is a white woman. And I, I laughed at the letter before she sent it because I'm like, woman, you were the woman that get rid of Martin Luther King's attorney. Yeah. Yeah. And you write yeah. me about how hard it is for black people in America, and I didn't even go to the department meeting for three years after she did that. I boycotted her chairship after mine for three years because she did what yeah. she did to um, Dr. Jones. 
And because then, they're looking for qualified Yeah, she immunity. wants me to absolve them. And he's white. I'm the only black in my department. I got about 10, 11 white people, and most of them are just sitting there begging me to make them feel better. And I'm yeah. saying to them, yeah. we got black people are dealing with this our own way, and the one and one way we ain't dealing with it is trying to help you white people figure out your stuff. Yeah. Y'all need to yeah. figure out your evil. You need to figure out your blue-eyed, blonde hair, pale skin problem that Malcolm said you had. You need to figure yeah. out your Yorugu problem that, that, that other scholars have said you had. You need to fix your, 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 your problem with non-whites. Because yeah. ain't no non-white people got a problem with white people. But white people yeah. have destroyed and dominated all non-white people on the planet. And none of them people were going to Europe. You know why nobody was trying to go to Europe? Because Europe ain't got nothing to offer nobody. Europe had nothing. Yeah. What did the African want from Europe? What did the Arab want from Europe? What did the Asian want from Europe? Nobody was going to Europe because Europe ain't had a damn thing to offer nobody. And that's why they're always talking about the Renaissance and how great their culture is and how great, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Michelangelo and, and Beethoven is because they don't have much else to talk about because yeah. the culture of Europe ain't never, they never produced anything but mean people with a Bible and, and violence. And they destroyed the world for 500 years. And we're living in the the aftermath of all of that 500 years of white evil. Dr. Taylor, I got to go, but um, you're absolutely right. It's the constant search for qualified immunity. And if, if people have not understood from you tonight that we can't grant it, we can't afford to grant it, we can't afford to not be rebellious. Rebellion and, and reparations. reparations. Rebellion and, and reparations. Absolutely. Dr. Taylor, thank you so yes. much for being with thank us. Thank you. And um, it won't be the last time. You're a voice okay, now. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Okay, thank you. And thank you all uh, for being with us uh, next Saturday here at Our Common Ground. I mean, when you when you talk to Dr. Taylor, when you talk to James Lance Taylor, and you hear his voice, you understand his love for our people and that he has spent his scholarship understanding our struggle, our history, and understanding how we got here and where we're going. And and, and I just love that about him. And I will keep inviting him over and over because at some point, Green Beasley, we have got to have a clear vision of freedom and how we get there. I want you all to always stay with us until the end of our close, but next week uh, here at Our Common Ground, uh, uh, um, we're going to have back with us in Our Common Ground voice, Zakia Sankara Jabbar. She's the National Director of Bright Beam. She's a co-founder of Racial Justice Now. She's a director of strategy and development for a black education network. And she, has, uh, she was formerly a national deal organizer for Dignity, the Dignity in Schools campaign. And she's going to be right here. And uh, I hope that you will join us. Also, don't forget, Juneteenth is a celebration of black history and freedom. And um, on June 19th, 1865, the day the Union Army arrived in Galveston, Texas, to announce 
All African American Slaves. It is a day of celebrating our history. Thank you so much for being with us, and thanks again to Dr. James Taylor. On next Saturday, as you continue the struggle, I'll be listening for you. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Who will survive America? Few Americans. Very few Negroes and no crackers at all. Who will survive America? Few Americans. Very few Negroes and no crackers at all. One day when the glory comes, it will be out, it will be out. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure. Oh, the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, his spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up When it go down, we woman and man up They say stay down and we stand up Shots, we on the ground, the camera panned up King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up One day, when the glory comes It will be out, it will be It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.